Hey, before we get down to the business of searching for knowledge today, for everyone who speaks Spanish or is trying to learn Spanish, check out NPR's Radio Ambulante. It's the podcast to hear incredible stories from all over Latin America and across the U.S. Hosted by novelist Daniel Alarcón, Radio Ambulante covers the region like no one else, reporting and storytelling in Espanol. Radio Ambulante is on NPR One or wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, hey, Paula, this may interest you. I was uh, looking through the files of the Institute this week, and I found a study that demonstrates just how little it takes to arouse a male turkey. <laughs> oh, almost nothing. <laughs> you, you, you seem to know something about this. I've spent a little time with turkeys. Really? Yeah, no, I, I, I spent some time petting a couple of turkeys at a, at a uh, farm sanctuary. They're, they're an amazing petting experience. I wasn't trying to arouse them. I was just... Well, you probably did. You... you, uh, you, you it turns you out know, you probably just aroused two-thirds of the male turkeys listening to this podcast right now. My guess is I've inadvertently aroused males in almost every species, Adam. Yeah, so here's, uh, here it is. In the 1960s at Penn State University, an experiment took place where they took a male turkey and started showing it another turkey. And of course, the male turkey got aroused instantly. So then they just started removing pieces of the turkey, components of the turkey, as they referred to it, until it was just a turkey head on a stick. And the male turkey still tried to mate with it. Yeah, but th they're not telling you the whole story about this particular male turkey. <laughs> I mean, how did, did it have a, a full social life prior to this? <laughs> or had it just been no, alone just for like a really, really well. long time? To the degree that it was like, oh, I would hump a head on a stick right now. <laughs> from NPR, it's live from the Poundstone Institute, where the pen is mightier than the sword but the eraser is mightier than the pen. On today's show, a researcher discovers that the key to happiness might involve getting on a subway. That's also the key to sitting in pee, by the way. Plus, good news for sailors, cursing is good for you. So if you're feeling blue, grab a hammer and smash your thumb. And legendary film director John Waters takes our personality test and finds out what bodily fluid he would be. What could possibly go wrong? I'm Chief of Research Adam Felber, and now, Here's your host, the director of the Poundstone Institute, Paula Poundstone. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome everybody to the Poundstone Institute where our most prominent faculty position is hiding behind the blackboard. So, Adam, where are we kicking off our journey towards greater knowledge today? Well, Paula, the voyage begins with the key to happiness, ah. which just happens to be talking to strangers on the subway. Our friend from the world of behavioral sciences, Nicholas Epley, did the research on this at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Nick Epley, welcome back to the Poundstone Institute. Hi, thank you so much for having me again. Okay, to do this research, you split volunteers at a train station into three groups, I understand. Tell us how you divided them up. We recruited them on a subway line on the south side of Chicago here, and we randomly assigned them to one of three conditions on the train ride into Chicago one day. And what were those three conditions? So in one condition, we asked them to do whatever they normally do. 
Uh, people are social animals, as Aristotle noted long ago, but on the train they don't seem to be so social, and so most of the time when they're riding in, they sit and keep to themselves. So we just ask them to do whatever they normally do. That's our control, our baseline condition. Okay. Another condition, we ask them to just keep to themselves. We ask them to do that explicitly. And the third condition, we ask them to do something rather radical. We ask them to try to form a connection to the person who came and sat down next to them. Talking to strangers. Yeah, to engage them in conversation. And if I'm not mistaken, the people who talked to strangers ended up being the happiest, right? That's exactly right. And that's interesting. Um, there's a huge amount of research that suggests that connecting with others is critical for happiness and for health. But it's interesting because people don't do it normally. I do it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, Paula Poundstone, <laughs> I, she always talks to strangers. What makes this interesting, though, was that our participants predicted that they would actually be the happiest when they kept to themselves. Right. That part really interests me. It, it seems like, like yeah. it was exactly the opposite of what they expected. People thought they'd be happier being solitary and not happier talking to people. Well, I have to ask this then. What the hell has happened to us? <laughs> Why would people think that would make them happier? Nick, were you surprised when people thought that? Is that what you expected? It seemed like a paradox to me as a social psychologist for why highly social animals who are made happier engaging in conversation don't do it more often, don't do what you do more often in daily life. And I thought this might be one reason why. That is that they actually expected the conversation to be systematically unpleasant. What do you mean systematically unpleasant? That, is, that there would be a general tendency for that, so that most people would believe that on average. So systematically means general tendency? That's what I mean in that way, yes. Oh, because it sounded like, you know, phase one of our conversation, let's begin. <laughs> That's the first no. unpleasant phase no. is getting to know you. The second one is when you reveal no. that creepy detail about yourself. Yeah. In the third unpleasant phase, I ask you for a loan. <laughs> I, I just don't understand. I mean, this, this baffles me. I mean, I think I see it happening all around me, and it makes me very unhappy, by the way, that people would think that not talking to one another would make them happy. Part of the problem, of course, is those damned uh, uh, iPhones and, and uh, uh, flat things that everyone's staring at. Um, did you ask your, uh, the people who did talk to each other, did you ask them if they took out their flat thing and that's how they, <laughs> like they texted the person beside them? <laughs> no, we did ask them to use their mouths. So they did actually have to talk to the person. I'm glad you followed it up with and talk to the people. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. Because yeah. I don't know. Somebody sits down beside a male turkey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that's part of it. If you've ever sat next to a male turkey on the subway, it's yeah. uh, it's a turnoff. No, it really is. Well, Not for them. Yeah. No, everything's a turn on for right, a male yeah. turkey. Yeah. Nick, um, I, I wondered two things here. First, did you measure the happiness of the people that the test subjects interrupted? We didn't know on the trains in the, in the, in the field studies we did, because, of course, we can't get the people they talked to in our experiment. Right. But, but we can do a different experiment, and that's what we did. We set up a waiting room in downtown Chicago, essentially, in a lab, and we just made people wait there. Uh -huh. And so what we did was we just had them sit there, like they would be doing on the train, and we randomly assigned one of them to either sit in solitude or to engage the other person in conversation. And now we can measure the happiness of both sides of the interaction. And what we found was that both sides 
were happier wow. when they were talking to each other than when they were sitting in solitude. And when they went to leave the room, were they upset that they weren't at the next stop? <laughs> Nick, would this work on an airplane? Because it strikes me that like on a subway, you can chat with a stranger knowing you can get off at the next stop in five minutes. But if you're flying yeah. to Venice, it's kind of a major commitment. Yeah, so I've had, I've had people suggest that the reason why they're nervous about uh, engaging people in conversation like on the plane is because they don't know how they're going to stop. Mm-hmm. I think that's also a mistaken expectation. It's actually not that hard to stop a conversation. You know, I have to work. It's been great talking to you. Uh, I'm really dying to read this book. Nobody's going to be horribly bothered by that. I think in lots of these cases, what we're finding in our research is that people just overestimate how negative some of these interactions are going to be. It's easy to imagine the worst-case scenario outcome, but that worst-case scenario outcome just isn't that likely to happen. You know, one time years ago, I was on an airplane with... uh, And, uh, Nick, uh, I have OCD where I sometimes can't stop talking, and uh, so I would be great. Wow, you hear all that shock not registering with the audience? (laughs) No, their mouths were hanging open when I said (laughs) that. No, they they were not. As I'm sure yours is, Nick Epley. Not Um, really. (laughs) All right, so one time I was on an airplane many years ago, very early in the morning, and Senator Barbara Boxer was on the flight. And I'm walking to my seat, and I see her, and I start talking, and she has a newspaper. And she did that thing where people kind of rattle the newspaper, kind of crack it. Yeah. So to speak. It's a pretty and clear signal. Right. Stop talking to That's me. an international, I'm not listening to you. I'm reading my paper. Sign. Every, no matter what language, someone would know that. So I pulled the newspaper down and just... <laughs> um, and, and at a certain point, I, she finally just sort of gave up and put the newspaper down and began talking to me. And her husband was sitting on the aisle seat. And um, sarcastically, he stood up and said, why don't I just give you my seat? And I said, thank you. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, if there's any uh, problem in their relationship ever, I can tell you that that was the first fissure right there. <laughs> wow. So, uh, Nick, I think what we can take, a- take away from this is that you should do this study again just seeing how people's happiness has increased or decreased when talking to Paula Poundstone. I'm happy to enroll her. Uh, well, thank you so much, Nick. I really appreciate you being here. I love your research. Next time I interrupt a stranger and they brush me off, I'm going to follow them home screaming, I just want to make you happy. <laughs> <laughs> and I have you to thank for it. It was great talking yeah. to you. Take care. Nick Epley is the John Templeton Keller Professor of Behavioral Science at the University of Chicago. Nick, thank you for joining us here at the Poundstone Institute. Yeah, thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. So do you guys like to talk to strangers? Oh, no. A lot of I yes. see somebody I right see here d- vigorously shaking her head. You don't like to talk to strangers? Uh, well, then yes, huge microphone coming up in front of you. <laughs> That's going to make you even that better. Should, you should yeah. feel pretty relaxed now, honey. <laughs> you don't like to talk to strangers? Well, first of all, there's the instinct that your parents always tell you. Don't talk to strangers. Yeah. You know, stranger danger. Sure, stranger danger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That but was from school, not your mom. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you're, you're her mom, and, and, you, and you never told her the stranger danger phrase? No, because you talk to strangers all the time. Yeah. I think every, sh- uh, every day should be like the opening scene in, in, um, in uh, uh, Beauty and the Beast. Bonjour! Bonjour! <laughs> yeah, but those people all knew each other. Well, that was a small town. That's Very right. Very small town. It's, the point of that opening song is how small that town is. Are you suggesting for a moment that I didn't understand Beauty and the Beast? <laughs>
That's fair. That's fair. Here at the Institute, we don't just talk about other people's studies. We also conduct our own, which is why you've been feeling a little electric shock whenever you don't laugh at a joke. In today's Poundstone Institute survey, we're asking people, what's the longest you've ever gone without taking a shower or bath, and what was it that made you decide you finally needed one? You know what? I think probably it must have been backpacking when, you know, like when I was in high school, I'd go on backpacking trips with my school. And I think so it was probably like about a week. Without a shower at all. Yeah, you know, probably a little bird bathing. By which I mean birds were so disgusted by me that (laughs) they came by with little moist towelettes. Wow. And did what they could. Well, our graduate students right now are processing the results and the free pretzels we gave them, and we'll find out what percentage of our audience has been randomly attacked by a Febreze-wielding mob. And still to come, a visit from filmmaker John Waters, who takes our personality test and finds out what bodily fluid he would be. And yes, we're worried about that result as well. Well, turns out we were wrong to allow our economics department to conduct a study called the Poundstone Institute Endowment. Could we spend all of it at Cinnabon? Fortunately, we'll get by thanks to the support of these sponsors. Lyft, reminding listeners that they could be relaxing in a Lyft ride right now with their eyes closed, listening to Beethoven or whale sounds or a babbling brook. It's basically a massage, but you don't have to be naked. Lyft is all about relaxation. Lyft provides rides as relaxing as the buttery smooth voice of a public radio announcer because riding is just a more relaxing way to drive. Lyft, it matters how you get there. Download and ride today. Thanks also to ZipRecruiter, who makes it easy to recruit top talent. Here at the Institute, we probably should have been using ZipRecruiter all along instead of advertising for faculty candidates on justfiredforcause.com. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus top job sites with just one click. Their powerful technology matches your job to the right candidates, and then their easy-to-use dashboard helps you find the right hire. That's why 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within one day. Try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com Poundstone. Okay, let's continue our search for gooder knowledge. Where are you taking us next, Adam? Well, we're going to learn about the benefits of cursing. Now we're talking. Yeah, now we're talking. I know you love this. There is now research that proves that cursing is good for you. Ben Bergen stays on top of international studies into what he calls taboo language. Ben, welcome to the Poundstone Institute. It's my pleasure. Now... There are several things we want to ask you about. The first is the study that showed that people can endure more pain if they curse. How was that study done? Right. So this is a study by Dr. Richard Stevens in the UK. He needed to find a way to cause pain on undergrads without actually harming them. So what he did was he had them come into his lab and put their hands in nearly freezing water. And they had to hold their hands there as long as they could. Okay. And they did this in two conditions. Either they were told to swear or they were told to say some random word that describes the table. And what he found was that the people who were told to swear could hold their hands in the water about 50% longer. Wow, that's a lot longer. That's a lot longer. And they also reported that it felt less painful. 
Now, did, did the researchers tell them what swears to use, or were they allowed to just kind of freeform it? They had to choose. So they were supposed to name a bunch of words that they would say if they stubbed their toe, and uh, they picked one of those. Like, ow, my toe? Which must be, no. <laughs> which, which must be weird with your hand in cold water. Yeah, they, they, uh, the researchers picked the profane ones to have them repeat. Like, like uh, we'll bleep it out, but like what? Oh, uh, you know, the usual ones like, f uh, holy crap. Motherfucker. Piece of shit. Damn it. Yeah. Fuck me. Fuck you. Fuck everyone here. Fuck this study. Why the fuck Okay, did I, I think we here? get it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, the amazing thing is that right now, Ben Bergen, his entire body is in almost freezing water. <laughs> and he feels fine. And, and he doesn't even know it. All right. It's amazing. He's like, I'm good. I'm good. All right, Ben, so, so here's a very interesting thing. I know this is going to interest Paula. Does this apply to everyone equally? Would, say, Quentin Tarantino get less pain relief from cursing than Pope Francis? Right. So they ran this study. With the Pope? No, they didn't run it with the <laughs> With the Pope, yes. Jeez. I mean, he was willing to talk to Spicer. Maybe he's just... Oh, no, you NPR people. No, 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 no. Well, well I, can't, I can't comment on the Pope, but he, uh, the same research group ran the same study, and then afterwards they asked people how much they swear in their daily lives. And what they found was that the people who swear the most normally gains the least pain relief from swearing in the study. Ah, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Paula. So Paula is not going to make up very well. Quentin Tarantino, John Waters, uh, anyone who's uh, familiar with lots of taboo language and using it, uh, not so much. But for like a nun, swearing is morphine. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you got to catch them in the act. What do you mean you got to catch them in the act? Well, I mean, they're not likely to swear much. That's the thing. Uh, what if they think it? Because, you know, nuns are thinking it. <laughs> you know, a nun stubs her toe like anybody else. Um, you didn't do any experiments with just thinking. We don't have those results, no. That's, uh, that's a really interesting question. Future study? Yeah. Future study. Hey, speaking about future studies, here's a more recent one I want you to comment on. It turns out that if you swear while exercising, you can lift 3% more weight. Is that true, and is that statistically significant? That's right. So uh, same basic idea. Uh, this study had people run on a treadmill or squeeze one of those grip measure things, mm -hmm. and um, they were either swearing or not. And what they found was that people were significantly stronger and significantly better at running on a treadmill. Um, now, it was a small gain, like you said, 3%, about 5 pounds of hand grip strength of improvement for swearing. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a real effect, it appears. All right, so if the Olympics were on cable, they'd be better? <laughs> so um, why do you think this is? What is it about swearing that is giving us superpowers? There's this whole suite of physiological reactions when people swear. Your blood pressure increases, your heart rate increases, blood flows to your extremities. And this seems to be very similar to the fight-or-flight response that we have deeply ingrained along with all other mammals and vertebrates. And when that's triggered, we are just better at reacting to stimuli, enduring pain and so on. But it's only because it's verboten, right? That's right. If, if these words were completely acceptable, we would never gain those 
strong physiological and emotional reactions to them in the first place. And with the blood flowing to your extremities, I'm guessing you just explained dirty talk. <laughs> well, it's true that you are physio physiologically aroused by swearing in a variety of ways, and that includes uh, dirty talk. I'll tell you something. You curse at a male turkey. <laughs> you really just have to think it at a male turkey. Honestly. Hey, Ben, thank you so much. This is a banner day for me at the Poundstone Institute because two things I do a lot, talk to strangers and curse, have both been proven to be scientifically beneficial, and I just did both with you. Awesome fucking research, Ben Bergen. <laughs> Benjamin Bergen is a professor of cognitive science and director of language and cognition laboratory at UC San Diego. The book he published last year is called What the F? What Swearing Reveals About Our Language, Our Brains, and Ourselves. Benjamin Bergen, thank you so much for joining us on the Institute. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I mean, I so don't care about cursing. This person right here in the second row, yeah, yeah. Um, what about you, are you a cursor? Uh, no, I don't. You know, I don't. I try not to. What do you do for a living, ma'am? I used to do accounting. You used to do accounting? Yes, for university. And you never cursed the entire time? <laughs> All the time. Yeah, right, yeah. All uh, the time. Yeah. I'm not, I, well, I'm not that good with numbers, so I curse a lot when I do any kind of math. Yeah. And I don't like doing math, so most days I'd be like, shit, I'm an accountant. <laughs> did, did anybody, else, uh, anybody else never curse? Thank you, honest audience. <laughs> Even that nun didn't speak up. Yeah, right, the nun in the back, not a word out of her. What about this gentleman right here, this, uh, uh, the, the guy with the pen clipped to your T-shirt? Do you have a notepad as well with you? I do. You do? Uh, yeah, I carry, I carry a pen and a, and a notepad in case I have a thought. <laughs> Why do you carry a pen and a notepad? All the things I need to do during the day. Oh, yeah, you're a list maker. Yes. And today, what's today's list? Uh, I don't have anything on the list for today, except for this show. And so what did you do the, with the rest of your day? Um, the rest of the day, I went to yoga this morning. Is there any cursing at yoga? <laughs> I bet there is, but you just don't hear anything. Yeah. My biggest fear, the reason I won't do yoga, is I don't want to have gas publicly. That's the only reason you don't do yoga. Yeah, that is the only reason I don't do yoga. Right. Plus, you have to be quiet. That's the other reason. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think I would wreck other yeah, people's I, things, I, I probably. Can, I can imagine just about every, every direction in an exercise class with you would lead to, oh, that reminds me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was bent over like this once before. <laughs> True story. Yeah. It was um. just as unpleasant then. <laughs> Hey, if after listening to the Poundstone Institute today, you're feeling like, wow, I just wasted a half hour of my life I'll never get back. I wish I could waste another hour. Check out Ask Me Another. Host Ophira Eisenberg and house musician Jonathan Colton play nerdy games with real contestants and celebrity guests. How many quills are on the average porcupine? Have you ever heard Patrick Stewart give a dramatic reading of Taylor Swift lyrics? You can on NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia. Check out Ask Me Another now on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. 
still to come, we find out how long people have gone without bathing. But first, we have to add some data to the personality survey whose variable simply can't be controlled. The PPP, the Poundstone Personality Pit Survey. Our research subject today <laughs> is author and film director John Waters. His new book, Make Trouble, is in bookstores and online now. John Waters, welcome to the Poundstone Institute. Oh, thank you. Hey, John. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, so, John, you have a new book. I read the book. I thought it was terrific. My favorite part was when you said there is no uh, such thing as karma. Well, I don't believe in that because so many great friends I have are dead and so many <laughs> I know are alive. So <laughs> I, 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 I don't really believe in karma. I wish I did, but I don't think life is fair. Everybody gets a hand. It's not equal. It's not fair. But you sort of have to make the best of it with what you got. And, and, you know, and if you're angry at 70, you're really a jerk. <laughs> you know, I feel, uh, you know, angry at 20 is sexy. Angry at 70 is kind of depressing. It's crotchety. Now, y you made movies that shocked everyone. And by the way, I, I, I just recently watched Pink Flamingos. I hope you watched it with friends. No, I was all alone. <laughs> oh, it's a terrible thing. You know, I, I never won in court. Every time we'd be charged in court, we would lose. Wait, charged in court with what? For obscenity, because every if you see it at midnight with a bunch of audience on marijuana, it's joyous and fun. If you see it in a courtroom at 10 a.m. with people that just got jury duty, it is a scene. <laughs> well, when I got jury duty recently, they showed the Shawshank Redemption and the jury while you were waiting, which seemed unfair to me. Well, it's great to have you here, John, but it is time to now get to the hard science part of this interview. It's time for the Poundstone Personality Survey. We're going to ask you three questions, and then we'll feed your answers into our personality database, and the computer will tell you which bodily fluid you would be were you to be a bodily fluid. Uh-oh. Ready to go? Yep. All right, John. Question number one. You sustain a head injury. The symptoms are either you always say exactly what's on your mind, or you can never say exactly what's on your mind. Which one would you choose? I think you can never not say what's on your mind. Even though I've heard from a head injury, sometimes you become a sex addict. But that wasn't a choice. <laughs> no, no. Sex addict is not a choice in this particular. Okay. So I say that you, it makes you say things you might not want to say. Yes. All right, question number two. What nursery rhyme cast would you most like to live among? Hey, diddle diddle, the cat and the fiddle? Three little kittens who lost their mittens? And by the way, sex addict isn't in this one either. Yeah. Or three men in the tub. Well, I guess three men in a tub, yeah. but you know. That's a real hard one you think I picked, but it depends what they look like, you know. <laughs> all right, question three. Because of all the good deeds you've done, you have been given the opportunity to play ping pong for an hour with any living person. Who, who do you choose? And, and by the way, take me out of it. Because that'll just get awkward. Uh, so, and anybody else? Oh, I guess Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> if he'd do it naked, because he's naked a lot. Are, are you a believer? Yes, I am, yes. I, and, and he's finally legal of age, so I can say that without feeling guilty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're going to enter your response into our database and find out what bodily fluid you really are, John Waters. All right. 
And here's the result. You know, when I took this test, I got phlegm. <laughs> I think the computer got that wrong, Adam. But you, John Waters, you are saliva. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Some people yeah, run. Yeah, I'm, I'm an oral kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> So, some people wrongly perceive you as being gross, but those people are completely wrong. You are a complex and completely healthy aspect of any properly functioning organism. You let us know what's tasty, you'll help us break down stuff that's hard to swallow, and you'll help us spit in the eye of those who deserve it. <laughs> Does that sound about right, John? Yeah, but you know what's odd? You're talking about Pink Flamingos. When New Line Cinema distributed that movie, they were afraid of the police in the beginning, so they had a fake company distributed it, and guess what it was called? Saliva Pictures. I'm not making that up either. Wow. You can look it up. <laughs> John Waters, author of Make Trouble. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us at the Poundstone right, thanks Institute. thanks for having me. Oh, thanks, John. You're great. <laughs> fantastic. Bye-bye. Hey, Paula, we need to raise a little money. The Institute's fencing team had money for swords, but not for the protective gear, and the gym floor is a mess. Which sponsor is stepping up to the plate this week? It's Discover Card, who alerts you if they find your social security number on any one of thousands of risky websites. Discover believes there are some things that you just need to know. It's another way Discover looks out for you, not just your account. And best of all, social security alerts are free for Discover Card members. Can you believe it? Free! All you have to do is sign up online. Learn more at discover.com slash free alerts. Limitations apply. But come on, we all have our limitations. Discover.com slash free alerts. Okay, we now have the results of today's Poundstone Institute survey. We asked people, what's the longest you've gone without taking a shower or a bath, and what was it that made you decide you finally needed one? And here are the results. 28.6% say they've gone two days without a shower. 42.9%, that's nearly half, say they've gone two to five days without a shower. And a whopping, surprising to me, 28.6% say they've gone more than five days without a shower, with the longest answer being two months. Wow. And that person is sitting among you. I, I was going to say, how many people here have not bathed recently? And instead of having them answer, let's ask the person sitting beside them. <laughs> All right, here are some of the results of that survey. Um, what's the longest you've gone without taking a shower or bath? This person says two to five days. And what was it that made you decide to finally uh, take a shower? Got back from camping, and even the dog would not sit with me. <laughs> yeah. Clear that sign, clear. That is a particular kind of rejection right there. Uh, this person has gone over five days without a shower. What wow. was it that made you decide you finally needed one? Uh, and in very small writing, they put family complaints. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them probably written on notes and slid under their door. Right. This person said uh, that at least three weeks they had gone. What was it that made you decide you finally needed one? My hair gets really flat in the back when it gets too greasy. Boy, that's the only thing that was pressuring them. They hadn't After bathed in three, weeks. in three weeks. They hadn't bathed in three weeks, and their concern was, like, they had flat hair on the back. 
yeah, this, uh, this is somebody who normally has a bouffant. Yes. Uh, yeah, just flat hair in the back. Uh, this person went two months. What was it that made you decide you finally needed one? Needed one long before waiting for cast and stitches to be gone. Oh, that uh, I didn't even oh, think so this, about this that. This is somebody in a body cast. Way to bring the room down, answerer. Yeah, they're not even here. Yeah. Even if you're in a body cast, you could still, you know. Still what? Bird bath a little bit. Bird bath a little bit? There's still a kind nurse that would come along with a, a little bowl of soapy water and, yeah, and or puff up the back of your hair. <laughs> Hey, if you have a minute this week, we'd love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review of our show. It can be anything, like a nice way to spend a half hour, or it's as if Ludwig von Beethoven came back to life and created something new for the ear, but he's obviously still deaf. (laughs) Just click on Reviews at the Poundstone Institute page on Apple Podcasts. Well, I don't know about you, Adam, but I need to hit the showers. (laughs) The distinguished chair of the Poundstone Institute is Doug Berman. Our undistinguished chair is Ian Chillog. Our folding chair is Mike Danforth. Our chair apparent is Ken Lizebnik. Our chair Jordan is David Green. Our sonny in chair is Franny Kelly. Our chair Aristotle is Connie Bridgeford. Our King Louis XVI chairs are Steve Nelson and Anya Grunman. Special thanks to Adam Burt, John Cohn, and his pals at Southern California Public Radio, Erica Reddick, Bonnie Burns, and the Stevens College MFA in TV and screenwriting. Our technical directors are Patrick Murray and Stephen Colon, with engineering from Andy Tice and Tony Federico. Our theme music is by the Californicorns. Live from the Poundstone Institute is produced by Urgent Haircut Productions in association with KPCC and is unwittingly distributed by NPR. (laughs) You can visit us at poundstoneinstitute.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks to our head of research, Adam Felber. (laughs) Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week live from the Poundstone Institute. Are you serious? This is NPR?